0: Uh, If you are with us for the first time today, we are so thankful that you've decided to worship with us today. We are, uh, without a doubt, we're a a church family that is on mission to reach the Tampa Bay area uh, and to send people all around the world. Um, Today we enter into Psalm 7, which is our last valley of our psalm series that we've titled Praying Through the Psalms Through the Peaks and Valleys of Life. Next week, we're going to be in Psalm 8, which is a great psalm of praise to end uh, the series, and we're going to be kicking off two services next week. Yeah, so we're excited about that. Just a few things I want to remind us of as we head into a new season in our church, specifically with college students coming back in a couple weeks uh, and taking on two services. And I I said this last week, and I want to say it again, and this is a big step of faith for us. All right, this is, going to two services, it's, it's kind of risky um, because quite honestly, we don't know what's gonna happen. Yes, we're planning and we're preparing. We're trying to reshuffle surf teams and add more volunteers to help. And we still need more volunteers, like in in kids and first impressions and parking on the worship team, really in all of our areas. Um, Really in almost every single ministry area, we need more volunteers. And I know it may not seem like a big deal to just add another service, but for a church our size, it really stretches us because we need twice as many volunteers and it opens up a lot of holes and gaps that we know we're gonna have to fill. In some ways, it would be very easy to say, well, why don't I just keep it like it is? Like, do we really need two services? Can't we just add more seats? And the answer to that is yes. Like, we can add more seats. We found a way to double our seating capacity at Easter and and get almost 300 seats in this room but it added about three to four hours worth of setup time to do it. And doing that week after week would just burn people out. And so uh, do we really need two services based on seating capacity uh, right now? And the answer to that is maybe, (laughs) you know, next week, we're pretty confident we will not need two services. Um, There's a high likelihood of being being several empty seats in both services, and that's okay. But beginning in August 20th, followed by the next nine months, y'all, we're not really sure what to expect. Because honestly, how many chairs we put out each week, it's a bit like a well-informed guest for us because the wild card for us are our college students. I mean, they come in packs of 10s and 20s and they also graduate and they leave in packs of 10s and 20s in the same way. And so going into the fall, we don't really know what to expect. But what we do know is at the end of last spring, we were consistently around 20 to 25 people away from our absolute max capacity without having to add four to five hours of setup time and set up and tear down every week. And if we continue to grow like we have been over the past two years, two services, it's just inevitable. Uh, but do you know what the danger and the risk of this is? The danger is that we just assume that God is going to do something and our involvement doesn't need to change. And so it's easy to look around in our church and see how God is working and moving and saving and sending people and, and restoring people and then to just sit back and watch uh, God keep doing uh, what he's doing around us without stepping into the game. And we have to ask, no, uh, that's, that's not, we have to say that's not how this works. Like God's plan for his people is to continue to grow and reach more people and to disciple more people and send more people on mission and around the world. It's by con- us continuing to sacrifice uh, and more people stepping up to live on mission and to pray and plead for God to move. And again, reaching more people it, with, the, with the gospel, it doesn't just happen. It takes a, a praying and pleading people that are willing to sacrifice and live on mission. It takes people stepping up and filling the gaps. And when our college students come back, uh, I will call them to do the exact same thing, to leverage everything they have for the mission of God. In New City, as as I think about our church, this is who we are. We're not a church that settles for uh, what's easy. We're not a church that, that, that stays comfortable. No, we're a church that is committed to laying everything down for the sake of the gospel and God's mission, even when it seems a bit risky. And so is it a risk? Well, yes. (laughs) But is it worth it? Absolutely. And as we go to two services to create more space, again, we have a lot of gaps to fill in leadership and with serve teams, but also next week, we will see God open up gaps in our services with plenty of empty seats. And as we see those empty seats next week, I I want us to let that be a reminder to pray for your friend and to pray for your neighbor and your coworker and to invite them to church. And next week, uh, what we're going to do, we're going to take time in our service and we're going to pray for the lost around us because those empty seats that, may, that we may see, those are not just for some stranger, those are for the people that we love to come in, hear the gospel and respond in faith. And so next week, we're going to celebrate the goodness of God through Psalm 8, but we're going to pray for God to move among us in the, week, in, in the months and weeks ahead because the following four weeks, we're going to be in Jonah and then we're going to be in the book of Judges. And in both of those books, we're going to emphasize how God moves through his people. You know, I love these Old Testament books and and what I love about teaching the Old Testament with books like Jonah and Judges and also with our text today is that today we have insights and a perspective because of Jesus. Like looking back on these texts uh, that allow us to take these hard truths that seem bleak and hopeless, and then we infuse life and hope into the passage because of our gospel hope that we have today that they didn't have back then, which is what we're going to do today with Psalm 7. It's a, tech, it's a text, honestly, that's pretty hard to wrestle with. I've been wrestling with it all week long. Um, it can seem pretty complicated, but I think we'll, we'll find um, how relevant and hopeful and needed this text today is for us. And so let's go ahead and read it. We're going to read the whole thing. Um, and then the header in our Bible, um, this is what it says It says, In you do I take refuge. And this is what the subheading says, and you all had to practice this, okay? Uh, a Shigeon of David which he sang to the Lord concerning the word of Cush of Benjaminite. So I hope I got that right. I think I did. A Shageon of David, which basically means this is an emotional, passionate song that David wrote about Cush, which is a man that we don't really know much about, but was likely an enemy of some source that has slandered David and he's wrongly accused him. And Psalm 7 is a response to that. And this is where the Psalm begins. We're gonna read the whole thing. It says, O Lord, my God, In you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending, rending it to pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Let, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you over it and return on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteousness. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow, he has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks to his righteousness, and I will sing praises to the name of the Lord the Most High. (laughs) So last week, we saw David sad, and this week he seems to be pretty mad. Like, I think we can agree this seems to be a pretty intense psalm. So David, he believes he has been wrongly accused. He's got people on his back casting judgment uh, and wanting him taken down. Just in verse 1 and 2, David said, Save me from all of my pursuers. Deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it to pieces. And then we see David asking God to to do something and not just anything. But David talks about God uh, getting out his sword (laughs) and his deadly weapons. And then in verse 15, David gives a nice and endearing prayer as he speaks about the man who has conspired against him, saying, he makes a pit, digging it out, and he falls into the hole that he has made. That's what he said. And then he continues his nice and gentle remarks in verse 16, saying his mischief returns to his own head. And then in 17, David ends the psalm by saying, I will give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to the name of the Lord. And I mean, what a psalm like, to wrestle, for us to wrestle with today. I mean, David, he's angry, he's fuming, he's been wrong, and I think it's fair to say he's trying to wrestle through it himself. And, he's, and as he's wrestling, he's having to trust in the goodness of God to judge according to how God sees fit and not according to how he's been treated. Leading us to our main idea for today, and it's that God is a righteous refuge and judge. And as, as we get into this at a first reading, I think it's easy for us to say like, man, what has gotten into David? But when we get honest with ourselves, I think we all have been in a similar spot at some point maybe in our life. You know, so maybe not as extreme or, or may, maybe or maybe not, but we get the anger and vindication he's experiencing here. You know, if we've ever had the thought, hey, that's not fair. Or they're not treating me right or fairly, we can relate with David. I mean, if you've ever had a boss or someone over you reprimand you or blame you for something that you didn't do, you get what David is experiencing. If you've ever had a, a friend or a spouse or a brother or sister or teacher or coach get on you for something or accuse you of something that's not true and you've wanted to bite back or set them straight, like you know the struggle here. In fact, I would venture to say that our text today would be suitable for someone possibly going through persecution because of their faith in Jesus. And maybe we haven't gone through intense persecution like our brothers and sisters are in Christ around the world, like they experienced, but I think we all know what it feels like to be wrongly accused and mistreated. I mean, I, I've been there and it's not fun. And unfortunately, this is part of being human. This is a common place in a fallen world that is easy to be familiar with. And when we think of anger and being angry. We have to ask ourselves, what does it look like to be angry about our mistreatment, but to not sin? We saw Paul say this in Ephesians. Uh, we saw David say it back in Psalm chapter 4. And David in this Psalm, he begins fearful and maybe flustered, but he ends in praise. I love how Alistair Begg uses like he, he uh, titled this he said David goes from prison to praise and as we go back through this psalm we'll see David working through his anger and fear and frustration and then we're going to see him end in worship and so how did David work through his anger well he, he brought all of it honestly to the Lord He brought his anger and frustration and how he felt. He brought it to the Lord as honest and as raw and real, but he brought it all in prayer. David, he didn't just say, Lord, take the wheel and act like he was all gravy. No, he also wrestled wrestled with the Lord in prayer. He brought his entire unfiltered self to the Lord. But as I said earlier, y'all, there are multiple ways to look at this psalm uh, and at the surface level, it is David modeling for us how to work through being wronged uh, and when we're angry about it. But the layer beneath the service, when we really get down to it, we know David, he wasn't perfect. And what many have said about this psalm is that this psalm is a beautiful picture of Jesus in the gospel. It gives us a window into the heart of Jesus taking on the sin of the world. And so yes, today we're going to see very practically a vehicle for wrestling through injustice and anger and being wrong and how to work through it. But more than that, we're going to look to Jesus and we're going to see how good our God is. Because what is so beautiful and hopeful about all of this is that, yes, God uses our anger for good. He created it inside of us to be used for his good purposes and not for evil. But the reality is we are a sinful and broken people that don't always do that. No, we get angry and then we sin in it. But yet the good news of the gospel tells us that through our faith in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we know that the power of Jesus is living inside of us and can move us from an unholy frustration to a holy praise. It moves us to action and to worship. And we said this last week and it's true today too. The gospel, it is always moving us. It moves us around the world and also moves us from madness to gladness. And that's what we're going to see today. But it's going to be labor and it's going to be work and it's not the easiest thing to wrestle with. And so I want us to think of today kind of like a hiking trip, okay, going down on a hike, going on a hike down into the, the valley of anger and frustration. And, the, and, and then we're going to wrestle through the weeds and the, uh, and the brush deep down in the valley. And on the back end, we're going to find the path back up to the mountain of praise. And along the journey, we're going to make five different stops that will help us move from anger to, to praise. And so let's begin on our hiking trip and see what God does. Look back again at verses one and two. He says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it to pieces with none to deliver. So the very first thing we see David do here is he comes to the Lord in prayer. And what we see here is that David, he didn't slowly kind of descend down into the valley. No, he's already deep down in the valley. It's almost like he got lost in the woods and he's trying to find his way out and he's a little disoriented down in this valley of frustration. And the first thing David says, is, he said, "O oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. And so here is David feeling like he's about to have his soul torn about, apart down in the valley of anger and frustration and he compares his situation to a lion that tears apart its food. And you know, I've never been eaten by a lion, Okay. But I can imagine this would not be a very enjoyable experience. Like I think it's fair to say, David, he has some fear inside of him. But David comes to the Lord and says, "O Lord, my God, in you I take refuge. Seeing that right off the bat, part of our main idea that God is our righteous refuge. And hear that word, "O O Lord, we see it in all caps in our Bible in verse 1. In Hebrew, it means Yahweh. And in the Old Testament, when people call out to God in the name of Yahweh, it takes them back to the Exodus when God delivered his people from the hands of Pharaoh. And through that process, God showed his immense power and his deep care for his people. And the name Yahweh is the name that says, I know that God is extremely powerful and also deeply personal. So David knows He's not just the creator God up in the sky, separated from his people that just leaves them alone. No, no, David knows Yahweh is deeply powerful and that he also knows our struggles and he knows our thoughts and he knows our needs and our name and he knows that he cares for us, deeply cares for us. And so this is Yahweh. This is who David is calling out to in the moment when it seems like his soul is about to be ripped to shreds. And so in the moment of betrayal and rejection and injustice, what did David do? we cried out to God, which is also our first step in moving up to the mountain of praise. The first thing we do in moments of fear and chaos, in the moments of despair and betrayal, in all moments, both good and bad, number one, we cry out to God. And notice what David did not do. He did not say, God, you got me into this, and so now I'm going to get myself out of this. He didn't take it into his own hands. He didn't try to act like it didn't happen and avoid it or sweep it under the rug. He didn't buckle down and try harder and he didn't try to make it right on his own, which are all things we can be tempted to do when we've been wronged or when we're angry. No, he cried out to God and he brought his trouble honestly to the Lord. And he said, in you do I take refuge, finding his protection in the Lord. He didn't find his false refuge and protection in things that we all know were easy to go to in things like his job or his status as king or his friends or his resources. He didn't go to any sort of pleasure or temporary comfort or isolation or hiding. No, he said, in you, God, I find my refuge. Like I find my rest in my protection and refuge in the Lord. And just to, and let's just be honest with ourselves. How easy is it in moments of fear and worry or maybe in moments of frustration, wondering what's about to happen, how easy is it to go to things that are not from the Lord, that, are a, that give a temporary satisfaction, they're a false refuge, but yet they have no lasting power. They're not a lasting refuge. And as I've thought about this idea of God uh, being our refuge, one of my first thoughts was being stuck in a Florida downpour And anybody that's lived here for any amount of time during the rainy season has likely been caught in some sort of bad situation when it comes to rain and i'll never forget when we first moved here about three months in we decided to go on an overnight beach trip in september because the hotels they were just a little bit less and we thought we found a great deal it's still warm outside still felt like uh, beach weather so we went to the beach and our first afternoon at the beach we find out why the hotels were so much less and it's because almost every single afternoon there is a torrential downpour that just comes totally out of nowhere. And so me, ki- my, my three kids that are all under the age of six at the time, we get stuck out in this rain, in this downpour, this rainstorm that felt like being pummeled by a, wa- a fire hose. And so what do we do? What do we need? We, we needed a refuge. We needed protection from the rain. And where did I think would be a good place to find refuge? Well under our nice lovely like beach umbrella. And what happened? The rain was somehow flying sideways and up, like it was going up our nose, like we were being pummeled by it in our faces. And so here we are. Kids are crying, nervous. They're like all wrapped up. The towels are soaking. The towels are soaking wet. Kelly is furious with me because she's like, "I think we need to go inside uh, with the roof, right?" But I thought it would blow over, and here we are finding refuge under a beach umbrella, watching the people beside us have their umbrella turn upside down and fly away. And so, did we find refuge? Well. Yes, for about two seconds, but it didn't work. It didn't last. It looked like refuge. It kind of acted like refuge for a moment, but we very quickly found out, no, this was not refuge. It was a false refuge. And so what do we need? We need a true refuge inside with four walls, a roof, like towels and a hot shower and dry clothes. The refuge of our room, it was always there. We just needed to go to it. But in my own boneheadedness, we decided to trust in a refuge that actually made the entire situation far worse. So church, how easy is it for us to run to a false refuge in our anger to things like unhealthy isolation or avoidance through social media or to unhealthy hobbies or relationships that cause us to not deal with our struggles that can then lead to bitter and hard hearts? But yet when God is our true and stable and lasting refuge that will always be there, he can keep our hearts soft and in our frustration and anger. And you City, listen to me, okay? Hard and bitter hearts that lash out in sinful anger or possibly even in avoidance or in isolation. It is the result of unprocessed and unhealed anger and pain. And in this moment in Psalm 7, down in the valley, we see David saying, God, I know you. I know you care for me. I know how powerful you are. I've seen it. You've protected me. You've watched over me time and time again. I know you're with me. I know you're my refuge, but God, show yourself. And this first step in coming to the Lord was his first step away from painful bitterness, and it was his first step towards the mountain of praise. In church, may our first step in times of trouble, when we are under attack or being accused, may our first step be towards the Lord and say, God, you're my refuge, you're my protector, and you're my healer. And notice what David said next as he weeds through the valley. After he cried out honestly to God, he said, O oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory to the dust, Selah. So what did David do after uh, he came to the Lord and cried out for help? He said, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, essentially saying, God, if I have done wrong, show it to me. And so David in this moment, he didn't assume anything. No, he didn't. He came in humbling himself and said, God, show me my wrong, leading us to see what we are to next to do. Number two, humble ourselves before the Lord. Church, when we are like David in this moment and open to having our life examined and saying, God, I'm not sure if I've sinned, but if I have, please show me. A New City, the moment we think we're totally free of any wrong is the moment we step away from the mountain of praise and step back towards the valley of bitterness and anger. And we move towards God and humility and a willingness to be examined. Church, this softens our hearts. We're on the flip side, if we refuse this, if we refuse to be examined by the Lord, it moves us back towards prideful vindication and we come before the Lord in humility, it totally changes our heart and it changes our perspective. I mean, how easy is it when we believe we've been wronged to point our finger at the one who has wronged us? But notice that's not what David did. No, he didn't say, well, they did this and this and this, and they did blah, 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 and they did X, Y, Z, and start the finger-pointing game. No, this is called blame-shifting, and it has been happening since the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, and it is still happening today. This happens all the time in arguments and disagreements. Someone gets wrong, and fingers start getting pointed at each other, and I'll be the first to admit that I, too, am guilty of this. This happens to all of us in, in, in all sorts of conflict, in relationships, at work can happen uh, when in, in any sort of disagreement or conflict occurs in New City we have to fight against the temptation to immediately point fingers I mean David feels like he's about to be ripped to shreds and have his soul taken apart but what does he do he comes to the Lord and he trusts that he is a refuge and then he basically says if I've done anything wrong show me search out my heart, examine my life, and church, this progression through the valley of frustration is so good for us, and not just in conflict, but in everything that we do. In fact, being able to say, God, show me my wrongs, show me my sin, this is the first step in gospel renewal, because if we don't understand our sin, we'll never understand our need for a savior. In fact, the bad news of the gospel is that we are all far worse than we realize, But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves us and Jesus is our refuge anyways. Like this is the simplicity of the gospel. With Jesus, we have a refuge and protection, but without Jesus, our soul is overtaken and we're trampled to the ground, just like we see in verse five. Again, this is the greatness of the gospel. Even in our sin, in Christ, we have an eternal refuge through Jesus. You know what this truth does for us? This truth of Jesus, it allows us to totally humble ourselves in freedom and say, God, show me my sin. Examine my life. Why? Because we can look at the cross. And as we do this, we continue to move towards the mountain of praise. And look what David says next because he's not out of the valley yet. We still have some work to do. David says as he continues through the valley, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assemble of the peoples be gathered about you over it and return on high. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. Like this is right in the middle of the weeds, like tangled up. Like he's like fighting against, like he's trying to fight it to make it through. He's trying to make it through the valley of frustration. And notice what he didn't say in his anger. He didn't say, God, use me to get back at them. He didn't say, God, give me the words to put them in their place. He didn't say, God, give me the strength to fight back and make their wrong right. But also notice David wasn't passive. He didn't sit around and do nothing, but rather he called on God. And what David is choosing to trust here is that God will, be a far, will do a far better job of making these wrongs right than David could ever dream of. And what did David say? He said to God in a very personal way, again, Yahweh, O Lord, arise in your anger. Lift yourself against the fury of my enemies. He's calling on God to move and to act and to make this wrong right. And then in verse 8, David acknowledges that the Lord judges peoples. And he said, judge them. And then he said, and also judge me. Leading us to say at our next point through the valley, number three, trust God as the sovereign and righteous judge. And I want to give you a heads, heads up here. Our next two points, we're going to step our toe a little bit further into the deep end. We're going to find some really good things and some more hard things. And I also, want, so I want you to stay locked in with me because in these verses, David has modeled for us what it looks like to not lash out and to not take matters into our own hands, but rather to trust the Lord and the Lord's judgment. And so David here, he trusts that God is king over everything that he's fully in control and that he knows all and he sees all and David knows that God God as the judge is fully righteous. Like God, he always judges in the right way. But what we should find a bit interesting is that David acknowledges that God is a judge and that he judges people. But then David also says, judge me according to my righteousness. And what we know about David is he is certainly not a perfect man. No, David, he's got a bit of a history. And I can't help but think that in verse eight, David here, he's pleading a little bit in faith, saying, God, judge me according to my righteousness and my integrity and not according to where he had done wrong. Like David knows that he's guilty in certain ways. He knows he's not perfect, and yet he pleads on God in faith to judge him according to what he has done right and not according to what he has done wrong. And I can't help but think how many people around us pray the exact same prayer. Lord, uh, judge me for what is right in me and not for what is wrong in me. And yes, David prayed this prayer, but it was a prayer made in faith at a time in history where there was no other way. Like David knew they were judged based on their achieved righteousness. To say the exact same thing in a different way, they knew they were judged based on how well they obeyed God. And this is where the psalm takes a turn and where we today take on a new perspective because of Jesus and the gospel. Because what we now know is that God sent Jesus to take that prayer away. Like we no longer pray, judge me according to my righteousness. No, we pray a praise of thanksgiving saying, thank you God for judging me, not according to my righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. And this is massively important. And maybe you're here today and you've spent your entire life praying and hoping you would be judged based on what you've done right and not what you've done wrong. And I'm here to tell you that today, God, our righteous judge, our judge that always does the right thing, he sent a rescuer to rescue us from being judged based off of us and rather to be judged based off of our sinless Savior who died for us and his name is Jesus. New City, when we place our faith in Jesus and come before God, our judge, the good news of the gospel tells us he doesn't see us in our sin. No, he sees Jesus, our sinless Savior. And for those that are finding refuge in Christ, he says directly to us, well done. He says to us, I'm clothing you in my righteousness. I'm giving you clothes that only people who are righteous can wear. And he says to us, you are holy and you are blameless, And it's not because of us or anything we've done. No, it's because Jesus died for us. And as we're sitting here, sitting there with the Lord, we can trust in the promise that David cries out in verse 9 saying, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. Like Church, we have a hope that one day God will get rid of all sin in the world and that everything that is bad and evil, it will become undone. And to that we say and we cry out, come soon, Lord Jesus. And when we're in the middle of our anger and frustration, and when we can stop and cry out to God, and when we humble ourselves before the Lord and remember how forgiven we are, and that our sins are as far as the east is from the west, and that one day all of our pain will be gone, when we stop in the middle of and worship God in the middle of this painful valley, looking at our gospel hope, in those moments, God begins to shepherd our hearts from the weeds of bitter frustration in the valley and he slowly, slowly moves us towards the mountain of praise. And how do I know this? Because I, just like many of you, have to do this often. I mean, how easy is it for us to just sit in frustration about whatever is going on and when we do that, do you know what happens? Like the longer we stay there, the more bitter our hearts become and the more frustrated we get about all the wrong that has been done. And church, we must day in and day out place our stake in the ground and say, absolutely not. I'm going to hide myself in the refuge of the Lord where he keeps our hearts soft, but it takes courage to go there. Let's keep going. Because he continues through the valley of frustration. Look at verses 10 to 16 again. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and his own skull. His violence descends. Pretty intense again. So David said here, his shield is with God in verse 10. He saw God as his protector and as a a good judge who judges fairly. And then in verses 12 to 16, David goes into how God deals with sin and evil and wickedness and those that don't turn to God. And in verse 16, he says, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. I mean, David talks about deadly weapons and fiery arrows and how mischief of the wicked will return to his head. Like this is some intense stuff. Again, I told you we're weeding and going in the deep end, and here we are. So David, in this moment, was trusting in the judgment of God, as we just talked about. Like, he was trusting God to do a work on his enemies. But we have to see here New City that Jesus in the gospel totally turns this upside down for us. Because yes, God is just and he is a righteous judge and he deals justly with sin and evil. But where David was trusting the wrath of God to be the final action to pay for evil, us today, we don't call out for God's wrath to be poured out on our enemies. No, the gospel totally changes our call and our plea. Instead of calling on our enemies who have treated us unjustly to be dealt with by the wrath of God, we call for those who have done wrong to us to repent and turn to Jesus and to find shelter and renewal and transformation in Christ. Us for us today, we don't call for God's wrath to be poured out as a means for justice. No, the justice of God was poured out on Jesus again our call changes we call for a gospel renewal and restoration that happens under the shield and protection that is found at the cross where jesus died you see jesus didn't die for us to wish for more wrath and harsh judgment on others no he died so you and me and all those who have wronged us can find refuge and help from the wrath of god and does sin have consequences in this life yes absolutely But again, we don't plead for more wrath. We plead for repentance. We plead for others and us to find humble submission to the king of kings. Jesus didn't come to destroy his enemies. No, he came to befriend them and offer forgiveness. And so how do we move out of the deep valley of anger and frustration? We cry out to the Lord. We humble ourselves before the Lord. We trust God as a righteous judge, and we number four, rest in Jesus for forgiveness and renewal. New City, when God shepherds our hearts, as we come to him and cry out to him, one of the things he does in our hearts as we wrestle with all that we're wrestling through, he, over time, he slowly begins to soften our hearts as we look to Jesus. Day in and day out. and Day in and day out as we look to Christ, God begins to allow us to see others the way Jesus sees them. And this is a slow, hard process at times. And how does Jesus see them? How does Jesus see you and me in our rebellion? He looks at us with compassion and mercy. He looks at us with love and grace. He sees us in our sin and in our rebellion, and he pleads with us to come to him and to find rest in his care. He offers us forgiveness. Yes, again, God's judgment demands that sin and evil be dealt with, which is what David is pleading for in these verses. But when we humble ourselves before the Lord and see the forgiveness we've been given by God through the Jesus and the gospel, it turns our plea for wrath into a plea for reconciliation and renewal. And no, it may not look the same as it did before. Because in some situations, yes, We need extra care. We need to use wisdom and people around us to help us navigate through these hard situations of life. But regardless, the hard reality is that the wrath of God is going to be poured out. God is going to judge everyone on the face of the earth. But the beauty of the gospel reminds us that if we have given Jesus our life, God's wrath, it doesn't come on us, but rather it goes to Jesus and we find forgiveness of our sin. And in Christ, we can say, verse 10, with confidence, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. New City, Jesus is our shield. And no, we're we're not perfectly upright in heart. And those who have wronged us, no, them neither. They're not perfectly upright in heart. Jesus, and only Jesus, is totally upright in heart. And Jesus is either shielding us or he's not. Jesus is either standing in our place or he's not. And If you're not sure if Jesus is shielding you, I want to ask you to give him your life and talk to someone about this. Maybe me. Maybe someone you came with to talk to someone and, sh- and make sure that you are hidden in Christ. Make sure that today that God is shielding you through Jesus. But if we are shielded by Jesus, we have, we have such a reason to celebrate that we can truly find rest and refuge, and we can trust that renewal is possible, and that soft hearts, like God can soften our hearts. It's attainable, because New City God is a redeeming God, and when our heart is moved towards redemption and renewal, it doesn't just move us to the mountain of praise, but it continues to move us away from the valley of bitterness and frustration. And it leads us to verse 17, saying, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praises to the name of the Lord the Most High. New city, yes, sin is real. Life is hard. Division and hardship and backstabbing, it all happens. But God, in his goodness, he's always there, and he's always ready and waiting on us to throw ourselves into his refuge so that we can, number five, as we end our time, worship in confidence. Again, in spite of being wrongly accused, after David wrestled through his struggle, he was, he was moved to say, I will give thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praises to the name of the Lord. And he was moved to the mountain of praise. And notice David didn't say, I will sing praises because they were nice to me. He didn't sing uh, because he didn't say because the relationship was restored, because everything was great. No, when life was hard, he didn't look to himself. He didn't look to his circumstances. No, he looked to the goodness of God and he looked to the name of the Lord Most High. And us today, we do the exact same thing. We look to the name of the Lord Most High, we look to Jesus. Because in Christ, we're made right with God. In Christ, we can find newness and joy. In Christ, there is confidence and hope that no matter where we are in life, we can look to God and see his love and we can see his goodness. And because of that, we can worship with an unshakable confidence. Again, I don't know where you are today, but the call for all of us today is to look to the goodness of God. And just trust in the gospel hope. Look to our gospel hope and trust that everything in him, like everything in him can find renewal in Christ. And trust that God will hear us and help us, as we've seen today. uh, Trust that he can find a refuge in him, that we can cry out to him, that we can humble ourselves before him, trust him and rest in him. And as we do all of this, we will be moved to the mountain of praise and we can worship in confidence. And why? Because this is what God does. He meets us where we are. He softens our heart. He provides refuge and rest so that we can find renewal that's the call today come to Jesus and find refuge and rest and he will meet you there and hopefully in time he will move us again to the mountain of praise, let's pray God you're so good to us even in the moments of life when it just is hard and challenging and difficult God when we've been wronged God, even then you say, here I am, come to me, cry out to me, come just as you are. And God, I pray that we will be a church that day in and day out just comes to Jesus and say, here we are, Lord. Here we are. Help us. God, we need you today. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.